they will focus on assets that are valued over $200,000. So if you're looking between 200 and 500,000, if you've got capital to deploy that, it's going to take you a lot less time to get to that million dollar net profit. Real quick before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code fairless at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Paige Panzarello. How you doing, Paige? I'm great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, that is great to hear and my pleasure. And a little bit about Paige. She is a real estate investor and entrepreneur. She's been one for over 20 years. She founded and runs her own non-performing note company. She's also had a construction company. She's completed over $150 million in real estate transactions to date based in Simi Valley, California. So with that being said, Paige, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. Hi, best ever listeners. Great to be here. As Joe said, I've been in real estate and real estate investing for over 20 years. I started out by default with some buy and hold properties. I owned a sewer treatment plant and some land. And prior to 2005 and that boom and then bust, I was in my growth spurt, right? So I started out knowing nothing at all about real estate or real estate investing. And I just had to jump in with both feet and ask a lot of questions and surround myself with people that were in the know. And by doing that, and then of course, you have to be bold too. You have to have some, I was very young at that point. So I was somewhat fearless. (laughs) Things have changed a little, Joe, but... So I surrounded myself with a bunch of people and I grew really fast and we ended up having 36 employees. I owned my own construction company and I started it knowing nothing about construction. Uh, Yeah. We were building our own projects. We were building everybody else's projects. Where Uh, at? 
Mostly in Arizona. We had some in California, but mostly in Arizona. Okay. And we were rocking and rolling and it was great. I held all of our licenses except HVAC and roofing. And the only reason we didn't have those is the insurance was too high. And it was prior to the 2005. So we were just going crazy with building. And then the crash happened. And I actually saw it coming, Joe. A lot of us did. I foolishly thought it's not going to happen to me though. And by the end of the day, I was very fortunate in that I did not have a lot of debt. I was only encumbered about 10%. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of assets that I could sell and it was really a fire sale. And at the end of three years, I was very fortunate that I was able to fire sale everything and pay everybody that I owed. I didn't have to go through a bankruptcy dismissal or any of that stuff. But three years later, I lost $20 million. Net worth or cash that was in your bank account? This cash that was in my bank account. So you had $20 million cash in your bank account. Yep. And then it went away. And it went away. Okay. Between the cash and the properties that I owned and everything else, yeah, liquid, it was cash and it went away. But I felt really good because I was able to pay the people that I owed money to. Absolutely. that to me, integrity is everything. So it was terrible for me. And I don't like to call that a failure. I like to call that a really difficult learning experience. But I was able to take care of the people that I owed money to, which made it all worth it to me. Absolutely. Yep. And they clearly appreciate that. And you are high on their list of people who have integrity, I imagine, when you speak to them. Thank you. Yes. I do have investors to this day because of that. And clearly I went away from real estate investing for a little while. I needed to regroup. (laughs) What did you do? I was always very entrepreneurial. So I always started up the small little businesses, but I was never fully satisfied. And my husband said to me, Paige, what are you doing? We need to go back into real estate. What little small businesses? Oh, um, for instance, I'm a dentist's daughter. So I started a teeth whitening business and I actually still own it. I have other people running it for me, but it was like a perfect fit for me being a dentist daughter, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it wasn't where my passion is. Um, So I had to rebuild Joe. I had nothing when I came back into real estate, nothing literally. So like many people that start, well, you had a teeth whitening business. Was that producing some good cash flow? It was, but not where I wanted to, and it still is, by the way, but not where I wanted to be in my real estate investing career. Okay, got you it. Know, it was enough to pay the bills and have yeah. a little fun, but- There are more zeros with around. real estate. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I came back in and I did what everybody does. I started out by wholesaling and fixing and flipping, and I did some tax liens and tax deeds. And all the while, I started studying notes. And for me, angels absolutely sang when I got into the note space and I haven't looked back. I love the non-performing note space. I'm actually in a position where I get to help people and do real estate. And those are my two passions. And I'm blessed every day that I get to do it. Well, let's focus our conversation on that. But you mentioned something at the very beginning. Clearly, I can't let that just go by without me asking a follow-up question or two. You said at the beginning, you owned a sewer treatment plant? Yes. Okay. So how did you become an owner of the sewer treatment plant? Okay. So as I said, I started my real estate investing career by default. My grandmother passed away and she had a very large estate. There was properties that she owned in California and properties that she owned in Arizona. The Arizona properties, which is what I originally started out handling, there were 38 townhome units. We were about 40% occupied. So we were really, really in destitute times. 
And by the way, the estate was about $4 million in debt. And we owned a sewer treatment plant and we owned land. And when I say we, my grandmother and the estate, which long story short, it went to my mom and then I bought the company from my mom. But yeah, the sewer treatment plant was a piece of the giant estate that she owned. So I learned a lot about sewer treatment plants, more than I care to share. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really an amazing experience because again, I knew nothing. And within three years, I was able to turn that four million around and put us back in the black and we just started rocking and rolling. We did sell the sewer treatment plant to the district, which was great. That's kind of helped leverage us out of this debt. And then the townhome units, I was able to turn that around too. I worked with all of my vendors and paid them everything that was due to them. And uh, again, there's that integrity thing, Joe. I made promises and I kept them and Mm -hmm. uh, built amazing relationships because of it. I've never spoken to anyone who owned a sewer treatment plant. So just educate me. How do you turn a non-performing sewer treatment plant around to be performing? So like I said, it was a privately held sewer treatment plant, obviously. And we were only hooked up to about 10% of its capability. So the townhome units, like I talked about, were hooked up and a couple other areas were hooked up, but we were only running at 10% capacity. And the district in Arizona, where we are, the district was in desperate need for a sewer treatment plant because everybody was on septic and we're right along the Colorado River. So as a result, the Army Corps of Engineers comes in if the septic is running into the river, et cetera. So the county, the district was desperate for a sewer treatment plant. So we were able to sell it to them for a decent amount of money. And we also negotiated some irrigation water for a very long time (laughs) for Mm -hmm. the properties, which was great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for talking about that because I hadn't ever come across that before. It is unique. (laughs) I come across something I've never come across before after interviewing 1,600 real estate investors. I'd like to ask a couple follow-up questions. I (laughs) other people haven't come across that either. All right, let's talk about non-performing notes. 90% of the listeners know what non-performing notes are and the general business model. But will you just touch on it for the minority of us who who might not know, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Sure, absolutely. So non-performing notes, notes in and of themselves are a promise to pay. So when you buy a car or you buy a house, you sign a promissory note that you're going to pay the bank back the money that they have lent to you in order to buy said asset, whether it's the real estate or a car or whatever. And there's different types of note investors. There's performing note investors, which is exactly what it sounds like. The borrower is paying their monthly payments. So you're getting monthly cash flow, being a note holder because you've become the bank And you don't have the headache of tenants and toilets, which is part of what I love about note investing, is that we get that monthly cash flow and sometimes chunks of cash without the headache of tenants and toilets. Been there, done that. So (laughs) for me, it's amazing. Non-performing notes is just what it sounds like. The borrower has stopped paying on their monthly mortgage. So I step in and I will buy that note, meaning I buy the debt and I'm in the first position, I don't ever buy second, so I'm the first one to get paid, I will buy that debt at a very deep discount, and I base my purchase price on the collateral that's securing the loan. So in other words, I do an analysis of the house that is securing my invested dollars. And when I do that, when I can buy it at a deep discount, I'm now building in an equity cushion. And it gives me a lot of flexibility to be able to work with our borrowers to actually try and get them to stay in their home. Mm -hmm. 
What is the discount that you like to buy it at? Oh, well, like to or can? <laughs> uh, both. Both. 100% discount, but may, okay, so maybe. There you go. What's, no, what's um, typical? <laughs> no, everybody deserves to make their money, right? And a little bit of profit. But my strategy is always pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So be fair and be equitable. And the discounts that I used to be able to get, we used to be able to pick them up at anywhere between 40 and 55 cents on the dollar. Nowadays, it's more like 55 to 61, 62 cents on the dollar. It's still a pretty big discount. So Mm -hmm. if the market drops 20%, if you're a fix and flipper, that's going to hurt you if the market drops that much, if the market drops in note investing and we've built in a 45% equity cushion, a 20% drop is not going to hurt us nearly as badly as some of the other forms of real estate investing. Okay. And on average, how many notes are you buying at once? It really just depends. We buy small mini pools. Sometimes we do one-offs, which means we just cherry pick. Sometimes we buy larger pools. It's just a matter of what the asset managers have available for us. There is competition in the note space, but I'll tell you it's a very collaborative space and it's not like scratch your eyes out type of competition where everybody's trying to climb over everybody else and outdo them. That's not the case here in the note space. Why? You know, I often ask myself that question. I think because there's so much inventory and life happens to people every single day. And this particular space, like I said, between the asset managers, the loss mitigation team, the servicers, it's very, very collaborative. We all really do help each other. And other note investors, sometimes there's a pool buy, meaning we have to buy the whole pool. And us note investors will get together and say, you know, I want to carve out this for my portfolio. And we collaboratively buy the pool, which is really cool. <laughs> so, How does that work? How does that work? Yeah. How do you structure um, that? Each situation is different. Of course, if I'm the one that has brought the tape and the tape is just basically an Excel spreadsheet of all the assets available for sale. That's what it's called a tape. So if I have received the tape and I go to the other investor, I will simply say to them, listen, I want to carve out all of the Texas notes or half of the Texas notes. And then we'll do a lottery on the other half, or I will know that they only deal with Ohio. So they want all of the Ohio notes and we'll take the Virginia notes. It really works itself out. There's really not a lot of fighting that goes on as long as we know what each other's kind of buy box is. Mm -hmm. In that scenario, you bring the tape to a group of say three to four people who are also non-performing note buyers. Mm -hmm. Do you all ever create one entity that purchases all of them and then you split up ownership based on who puts in what in that entity? Some investors do do that. I am very fortunate in that the way that my business is structured, I work through a Delaware statutory trust which most people know through 1031 exchanges, but that's not the case here. So I work through a Delaware statutory trust, which operates very similarly to a series LLC. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually able to create a series of my DST and give ownership to those three or four different investors. So I don't have to create another entity to do that. Okay. But it functions as the same way. So you all are in one entity together, but you split the profits based on who owns what? Is that correct? We can do that. It depends on the tape and the assets that we're buying. 
again, if we're carving out notes where I'm taking all of Virginia or Texas and they're yeah. taking all of Ohio, we don't necessarily need do to do that. We just need to have an operating agreement that we're both going to put our, you know, our money together. We go through a purchase and sale agreement, just like you would a house or an apartment building. And then we just divvy up, tell the seller who to make the assignments of mortgage or deed of trust, who to make, what entity to make those out to. And that's just a transfer of ownership document. And the reason why I was asking, and perhaps I should have led with this, was I was wondering if there was an advantage for the person who has the tape who had that relationship with the asset manager and then brings it to the group. For example, if everyone invests the same amount of money into the entity that buys all of those notes, then the person who brought the tape would get like 10% extra ownership interest because they brought it and then everyone splits everything else proportionate to the amount of money they invest. Yeah. There's so many different ways you you can structure a deal, of course. But you've Uh, never done it that way. (laughs) There's so many ways. But again, I think because of the collaboration in this space, if we're each taking our own separate assets, then there's no need for me as the person who brought the tape to take an extra 10%. Again, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. I'm just happy that we can collaborate together and buy the whole pool. I don't need that extra 10%. It's fine by me. That's interesting. So if there was a large tape, then the advantage for you to bring it to the group would be that you all would be able to close on it, whereas perhaps you wouldn't be able to close on it as an individual. So there is the value that they're bringing to the table. And so that's where the collaborative part comes in. Absolutely. I'm with you now. All right. I see, I see <laughs> the benefit there. Okay. Well, what type of process do you go through once you have closed on it and you have, congratulations, you have notes where no one's paying on. <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds crazy. Nice, nice it? job getting that one. So <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you do next? So we have teams in place. And with note investing, I call it very front end loaded in terms of your due diligence. The beauty part about once you actually get to the closing table and you close on these you now take the notes and you pass them off to your team members. So I've got an amazing loss mitigation team and they start with the borrower outreach. The beauty part about note investing is that we actually have 23 different exit strategies. And as you can imagine, after 2007 and what happened to me there, I'm very risk averse. So when I've got 23 different exit strategies available to me to dispose of these assets and work with people, I'm in a pretty great place and pretty happy. But our loss mitigation team is our point of contact and they start with borrower outreach. We typically only use four different exit strategies that are typical. We either have to foreclose, which is our least favorite, by the way. We could do a short sale. We could do a deed in lieu of foreclosure, which just means that we accept the deed to the house as payment in full for the loan that we just bought, or we get to work with the borrower to get them reperforming. And that's actually my favorite because we are able to generate both chunks of money and streams of monthly cash flow and help somebody to stay in their home. And we have a general idea, Joe, when we are reviewing and doing our due diligence prior to buying the asset, what kind of exit strategy we would like to employ. But borrowers are people, so they sometimes tend to surprise us too. (laughs) Sure. Oh, I know. We've got some apartment units and 
when you have a lot of families living under one roof in a centralized area, then there's always going to be something that surprises you. Oh, yes. And everybody's got a story, don't they? Yes. Yes. Yes, they do. (laughs) So you got 23 different exit strategies. By the way, those written down somewhere on your website or something? I don't want to overwhelm people. I do. We're not going to. Yeah, we won't go over it on this call, obviously, (laughs) but is it listed somewhere? I do teach a workshop and we do go over some of the exit strategies. Again, I don't want to overwhelm people because there's a lot of information out there and it can be a bit daunting. But yes, if you come to the Building Wealth with Nose workshop, I do teach all that. Okay. But there are four that typically are your go-to. One is foreclosure. You don't like that. Two, short sale. Three is deed in lieu of foreclosure. So the owner is basically saying, here, I'm going to turn the house over to you and then I'm not going to get dinged on my credit or anything else. I won't get foreclosed on. And then the fourth is reperforming. So they start paying whether some workout scenario or not. So three out of those four are you getting the property or sales proceeds from the property, whereas the fourth is ongoing cash flow. But then with the ongoing cash flow, the disadvantage is it diminishes over time because they're paying down the mortgage. So I just have a hard time understanding. And clearly it is possible because there's a lot of people who do this, yourself included. I have a hard time understanding how you can make a good chunk of money doing this without massive, massive volume because there's got to be a cost for loss mitigation team. Plus you're buying it at a 40% discount or something. But after the time that's spent to do this and then after the foreclosure process, short, how many deals do you need to do to make a million dollars in profit over the course of a year? That's a great question. <laughs> it depends on how much capital you have to deploy at any given time. And it depends on the assets in your buy box. What are you looking at? If you only have limited capital and you're only starting out by buying assets that are lower in value, then yeah, it's going to take you a little bit longer to get to the million dollar net profit. If you've got a little more collateral or a little more capital and you can buy some of the higher end assets, it's not going to take you as long. There are note investors that are out there that have a lot of capital to deploy and they will focus on assets that are valued over $200,000. So if you're looking between 200 and 500,000, if you've got capital to deploy that, it's going to take you a lot less time to get to that million dollar net profit. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Best advice ever is don't be afraid to fail. Really successful people are successful because they have failed. If you learn from it, then you can get back up and hopefully it's not catastrophic. But so many people are paralyzed because they're fearful of failing. And they really need to change that mindset to look at it like it's a learning experience. All of us scrape our knees. Compound that though with doing your due diligence. Due diligence in any form of real estate investing is paramount. It's crucial Because when you do good due diligence, you buy your assets well. And that's when you make your money. You collect it when you exit. But if you do good due diligence and educate yourself about that form of real estate investing, then you really can mitigate your risk and do very, very well. 
we're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning I'm round? I'm ready. I'm All ready. Right. Bring it let's, on, Joe. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? A couple of them. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey, love it. Three Feet from Gold, Sharon Lecter, and, and my personal mentor, Greg Reed. Love them. Oh, I love that. I think I've read the first one. I feel like I have. I've heard about it so much, but I love Three Feet from Gold. That truly is a must read. What's a best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done was taking one of our non-performing notes, and I was able to help a single mom who she and her husband divorced, and they had a couple of kids, and she lost her job. And I was able to help her and her two kids stay in their home, get her to reperform, and they did not have to move. Just best ever. She wrote us a beautiful letter thanking us profusely. She was beat up by the big banks, and we were able to help her stay in her home. Nothing like that feeling. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the biggest mistake, the biggest, we all make mistakes, but the biggest one was in 2007 for me thinking this is not going to happen to me because I did see it coming. And I was naive in thinking that I was only leveraged 10% and it wasn't going to affect me. Boy, was I wrong because it did. It happened to me right on my head and caused me a huge loss. But I'll tell you, that shapes you as an investor and it teaches you who you are and how you relate to other people and to money also and how you treat money. Best ever way you like to give back couple of different things. Again, I'm very about helping people. So I do teach a financial literacy in the form of teaching a cash flow game. So I do that. People want to know what I do and how to build wealth with notes. And so I teach a workshop to help people to create their own financial freedom. And I often get the question, well, you're teaching people to be your competition. Like I said, this space is very, very collaborative. So I don't look at it that way. I'm very passionate about helping people to build their financial future and give themselves financial freedom. So that's part of my give back. And then the other thing is that I'm very passionate about our veterans. So I donate a lot of time and money to Operation Gratitude. It's one of my things. And I eventually am going to be taking some of these REO properties that we are acquiring through foreclosure. And I'd really like to be able to set up housing for our veterans across the country. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? Well, the best way to reach me is to either direct message me on Instagram at the cashflow chick. You can go to cashflowchick.com. If you're interested in scheduling a conversation with me, it's free, of course. Just go right to my website. And if they're interested in building wealth with notes, then they can go to buildingwealthwithnotes.com to learn about the next workshop. Love talking to you and learning about your approach as a business person and your focus on non-performing notes talking more about that getting into the details of how you make money and exit strategies as well as the sewer treatment plant well that was fun too (laughs) (laughs) 
So thank you so much, Paige. Really enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. You too. Have a best ever day as well. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.